I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Rick Kelly. And we love to watch. We love to watch Morgan Spurlock's an hour and 38 minute rectal exam that features a few seconds of an actual rectal exam. Hey Pete! Hey Rick! Hi. Hey, about that rectal exam, um, I was watching it with Maya in the room. She wasn't paying attention because of the documentary, but she did. I forgot that was in the movie because it's been yeah. so long since I've seen it. And she looked up and it was just like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, things have changed for you forever. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, that whole scene unlocked the movie for, for me. We'll get, we'll get to it. We got to get to a lot. So, yeah. It unlocks all of we... my feelings about Morgan Spurlock in a weird, uncomfortable way. But, yeah. What's uh, the show, Aaron? We love to watch. We're a movie podcast. We pick a theme uh, and we do movies over the course of that month uh, around and inside. Lost the words a long time ago, but we we do some four movies that usually relate to that theme. Uh, It's a new month. It's April. And we're doing something that Peter and I have tossed around for basically since we started this podcast, that we wanted to go back to some documentaries that were like either super big or super important for us, but were like issue of the day documentaries that kind of blew the genre wide open. So documentaries tended to be very niche, very art house, uh, very low box office totals uh, until, you know, until essentially Bowling for Columbine, uh, followed by stuff like March of the Penguins and Wing Migration. And there was a stretch in the 2000s where documentaries were doing medium sized uh, box office returns. And so they became very hot, very big, and there was a there was kind of a flood of kind of nature documentaries, but also a bunch of documentaries trying to find that hook that would not just do, say, you know, five hundred thousand dollars at the box office and get a respectable run on a cable channel, but make twenty, thirty, forty, fifty million dollars on a low budget. And, and that would be all um, people talked about for a period of time. Yeah. That would that would 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 yeah be worth its weight in like cachet. That like you wouldn't just make a documentary that would be a box office hit uh, and make, a, you know, a big return on investments. Documentaries, for the most part, don't cost a lot to make. So $20, $30 million on like a $500,000 budget is considerable return on investment, uh, even compared a high, much higher rate of return than most blockbuster movies um. So, and it also kind of set up a, these movies cost. Yeah, well, that's exactly what I'm saying. Um. So, yeah. So there was a time when this was like a big thing, and so many of those movies were really trying to capture a zeitgeist of the day. And so, and so, no one's seen them since they've come out. That's kind of our pitch for this month. Is that not that there's no one in the world that has ever seen these in the last ten years, but did we? And that's the the theme of this month. Did we dock up? Did we give a lot of praise to these documentaries that they don't hold up like a Hoop Dreams or something like that or a Grey Gardens? Like they were they were huge in the moment, but ultimately have no cultural cachet or artistic merit in 2020. The other part of this that I really want to that, that is sort of a, an accidental theme that's going to be a part of this all month is um, – where were these movies placed in our sort of social and political growth as people? Because, like, Aaron, yep. you're a little bit older than me, but, like, I think 
all the documentaries we're doing this month probably landed with us in a similar kind of uh, political point in our lives. Yeah, um, that's a good call out. Um, so let's talk about the movies we're doing and we'll frame up the month a little. We'll introduce Rick and we'll get into our first month's entry. So we're doing starting uh, with Super Size Me, which was kind of the less political but pretty it, it is political in a way that wasn't as obvious, I think, as the other movies that we're co- covering. Um, and it definitely could have been more, I think, it, there's there's portions of this movie, which we're going to talk about at great length today, that I think would have been more interesting to focus on than uh, how much uh, Morgan Spurlock could throw up. But um, <laughs> uh, that's supersized me. We're going to talk about that today. And then we're doing uh, An Inconvenient Truth. Which uh, is obviously a I don't think anyone is saying is is not it would be a relevant movie, but it is probably something that while it won Oscars uh, has the movie itself kind of became a uh, a unfortunate joke as a as an Al Gore uh, piece and as a as less than a movie than a PowerPoint presentation. Um, And obviously, unfortunately, We have spent the last 15 years uh, frustratingly arguing about the issues presented in the film. So that'll be, I think, very – I saw it when it came out. I loved it. It was one of those movies. I think a lot of these movies we're going to talk about are going to be ones that probably uh, young politicos like myself were recommending to a lot of people, thinking it would open their eyes or change their minds in in a certain way. Um, then we're doing, uh, a double feature. We, we thought of only doing one. And originally this whole month came about by who has watched Fahrenheit 9-11 in the past 10 years. Our guess was no one. And we're like, what if we went back and watched Fahrenheit 9-11, this attempt to unseat a president that ultimately failed, that is still the highest grossing documentary of all time, made $150 million, won the... It was huge at the theater that I manage in downtown Berkeley, unsurprisingly. But uh, it was like in the papers. It was in the Times or whatever. as just being like, I guess the grosses that the California theater did were astronomical. Yeah, I mean, I so I, and we'll talk about this more. I was in Fargo, North Dakota. Um, I was in college. I would have been 21 um, when it came out. And uh, I went with 20 friends to a sold out show. You had 20 Fargo, friends? North Dakota on opening night. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was a fun. <laughs> we can talk about that later. It was a whole row of people. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just like this huge cultural moment. And we, we decided that we couldn't not do Bowling for Columbine, which really was a, um, a pivot point for me politically from being someone who didn't care about politics to, uh, who generally didn't care about politics, was not interested at all, but would have probably, uh, said he would have voted for George W. Bush in the 2000 election because all I see is Bill Clinton's corrupt and I came from a very conservative family in town and stuff like that. Um, to kind of making me go, huh, and read a lot more and eventually become the pinko commie, whatever I am today. Uh, so we decided, and Carrie, um, and Nelson's our guest for that episode. Uh, which is also we have a lot of complicated feelings about more. They were very pivotal for pivotal for us, but also ultimately, um, what's what's their rate of return? How frustrating are they as as people in the world? Uh, how much are those those uh, documentaries themselves still uh, important or watchable? Um, I think most people would agree that he has definitely a. Post sicko, especially hasn't had the same level of cultural cachet for his documentaries. Definitely not the same box office returns. And then we are ending it with a movie that is uh, when I, 
Peter and I talked about when we did Full House, uh, our Fuller House Christmas special, that there was a there's there's two topics on this show that Peter and I over years and years have kept getting into long conversations about that ultimately get completely edited out of the show because they have fucking nothing to do with anything we're talking about. Oh, yeah. And we decided that it was time to exercise those demons. And so the first one was doing Full House because for some reason, Peter and I kept getting into conversations about Full House versus Fuller House and how angry watching the few episodes of Fuller House made us. And then the other thing has been commiserating on we are both people that um, loved Bill Maher for a stretch and also hung on to him probably longer than we should have. Like, uh, as uh, as just generally people that we were like, yeah, that sucks, but he, w- he was right about, I like what he said about Katrina and we, you know, eventually realized oh my god, he is the fucking worst. And so, we, Peter and I, it's just us, we need to talk about Bill Maher and specifically his movie, Religious, which I loved at the time uh, probably haven't seen it in 10 years. That is the one out of all four of these I am least looking forward to going back to. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's been a month of while I was very much looking forward to recording this episode and exercising this demon out of me uh, and getting to talk to Rick Kelly. Um, the uh, the the actual act of like shit, I gotta sit down and watch Super Size Me. Uh, right, yeah, brought me great consternation. <laughs> So yeah, so that's what we're doing this month. It is it is a huge difference than stuff we've done before. Uh, You know, it a lot of times we're going to be talking not just about the movie itself, but you know the people that are making these movies. Morgan Spurlock built a career out of this. He had a TV show that was like, "What if I do other stuff for thirty days? Let's see how that goes." (laughs) Wasn't it called? Wasn't it called Thirty Days? It's called Thirty Days. Of course it was. Uh, What if I live in a prison for thirty days? Um. It's the 30-day thing that people love. Um, I'm not going to make a fucking annoying movie for 30 days. (laughs) He made made a sequel to this movie, which I watched. Oh, no. Uh, Yeah, we can talk about it a little at the end. I saw it on there, and I was like, no, I can't do that. I can't take the plunge. It it is a really good example of uh, someone who has lost all cultural relevance trying to do, make a sequel to their yeah. own documentary and not knowing what to do that would, would make any sense. Also so ran into he, a <laughs> couple of post-production problems, as I recall. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about that at the end. Uh, that's a big part of Marcus Furlock's life, uh, talking about him uh, oh, in general. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that is a movie I at least want to give five minutes to because it is at best a 15 minute 2020 segment from the nineties stretched out into an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah. Um, I read the synopsis of it and, uh, without getting too ahead of ourselves, I watched this movie and I was like, huh, you know what movie made all of these points, uh, but in a more interesting fashion and reached out to, to, uh, you know, more facets of this sort of debate and, uh, had a more humanistic and empathetic touch was food Inc. Um, and then food Inc was an excellent documentary that yeah, like, food Inc is good. And then I read the synopsis for super size me too. And I was like, Oh, so food Inc in a sense, ate your lunch and did what you were trying to do in a more effective manner, and people watched and tw- it, and respected and, it, and, didn't and twelve years before. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, Jay, hey, Peter, just a quick question: This may blow your mind if you haven't seen uh, Super Size Me Two. Holy Chicken! Do you know that uh, some 
some restaurants use marketing? Marketing? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Uh, did you know that like words like artisan are, are marketing terms, <laughs> not uh, culinary terms? Uh, would you like to hear me talk about it for 40 minutes? <laughs> Does he uh, go in depth to reveal how they differ from, you know, the merchantile class? And <laughs> the, uh, yeah, you're not an artisan. <laughs> the Medici's wouldn't have been seen dead with you. So so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get into all that. Um, but our guest today is Rick Kelly, who who picked. We gave him a few different types of months. It was one of those stretches where we had you could do Mad Max movies, you could do what we're doing in May. Yeah. And I was I was legitimately surprised, Rick. Yeah. Because uh, it was pretty open at the time we sent it to you uh, that you picked this one. So you've been on the show a few times. Why don't you quickly introduce yourself and tell us why do you want to talk about Super Size Me? Sure. Uh, my name is Rick Kelly. I've been on the show a couple of times, as Aaron said. Uh, run a website called LudditeRobots.com, which I haven't written on in quite a while because I am raising a little baby and that's taken up all my time, which is great. The website is still there. You can look at stuff if you want, but uh, mostly focusing on doing all the rest of my life. I actually have a piece coming out on um, someone else's website on the spool uh, oh, nice. Med, I think at the end of the month. Um, so that's cool. So I do some that's occasional awesome. stuff like that, but for the most part, just doing my thing over here. And uh, yeah, I chose I chose Supersize Me out of all those because I feel like well, for, I like the idea of the month because uh, that period, that like decade, or maybe like eight years of advocacy doc explosion is a really strange cultural phenomenon. I thought. Uh, yeah. And I remember seeing this movie. And I remember liking it, and I don't remember why. And so I kind of wanted to go back and see what it was, what I liked about it. And uh, yeah, it's kind of a mystery because it's extremely aggravating. I will contend, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of it's a, it's part of this continuum of all these movies that came out right around the same time. And I, you know, there's something in the air of the 2000s that just made people really want to see some strident advocacy documentaries documentaries so uh yeah yeah i mean the amount of documentaries i i think i think it's a little bit like i don't want to say it's a rack but like i think it's just michael moore it's a combination of of uh more better digital camera technology that allowed documentaries to be made i think that's a huge part of it yeah and look and look really good uh, they didn't look like they were shot on your a video camera anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like your your parents' home video camera. So you could shoot digitally, you could edit quickly, um, and it just you could show it in a theater and make people think they're watching um, a, a, a quote unquote real movie or a fiction uh, a, f- a fictional narrative movie shot on celluloid. Uh, I think Michael Moore had a big uh, as this kind of like making documentaries less about topics but more about a person invest. Gating a topic or advocating for a topic, I think, was a big component of that. And then um, I do think um, there was so much uh, uh, cultural strife with uh, with Bush. And I mean, that's always the case. But it was, you know, it was a time. The amount of Iraq war documentaries I saw, some very good, some very um I like like I remember election night two thousand four. I had seen Fahrenheit nine eleven so many times. I'd seen no end, you know no end in sight. Like so many of these ones that I watched one uh, called Control, which no one talks about anymore. That's a great movie. Was, 
great movie, but like there was just so many and all your local video stores was carrying these. And, and so like, yeah, it's either like you're watching stuff like wing migration and touching the void, um, which I have a lot of affection for those because of just the availability of good cameras and for cheap, or you're watching like these, you know, there was a lot of just cultural anger and a way to, to get those out, get it out to the world. Um, and then just, yeah, just like people that wanted to be Michael Moore. And I think Super Size Me falls well more. I, I think that if Michael Moore has a uh, successor in the sense of like stylistic documentaries, I do think it's Morgan Spurlock. I don't think he has the talent or the politics or a lot of other things, but like this feels like a natural extension of the Roger and me format. I think you're right about that, but I think it's also, you know, the contemporaneous with sort of the rise of reality television and with True. Like yep. stunt shows. Uh, I think there's a big jackass component or maybe, you know, like this notion of like immersive investigate investigatory cinema where they're going to do, he's going to do a thing and you're going to be there to yep. like watch him really do it and can really confront people. And it's like a kind of, It'll be some sort of cathartic thing, which is Roger and me as well. But it's, I mean, I guess it's all kind of a, a bundle. But yeah, I think a lot of things were happening simultaneously that, that just manifest in this movie, uh, regardless of whether or not it's good. It's kind of interesting. And I think I think one on Spurlock, when it came to just as a, as a person, as a focal point of the movie itself, I do think the big thing that is kind of frustrating to me about his persona in the documentary specifically. Let's mm-hmm. start there a little bit before we get into the plot. Let's just talk about Morgan Spurlock. Um, is that like, I like a lot of early Michael Moore stuff because he is like legitimately angry. If you watched TV nation or Roger and me, or um, what was his other TV show? That was really good. Uh, the awful truth. <clears throat> the, Um, there is a, like, he would make a joke here and there, but it was in this style of like, like a cutting remark. And then he would kind of get like, and here's, you know, he, he, he evoked a certain sense of passion and whether that works for you or not, and whether he kind of turned into a parody of himself later on, which I would say that he, he did a little bit. He had a harder time selling that, uh, both the every guy persona and the, Anger, it always seemed kind of forced to me later on. Um, but uh, we'll talk about that way, way more in another episode. Uh, but I think I really dislike Spurlock's persona, which is <laughs> I'm a I'm a I'm just a regular happy guy who likes doing fun stuff, but I'm a little stinker sometimes. <laughs> like I I fucking hate his passive aggressive, like like just if you're angry that uh, like my whole thing about this movie, the next movie that he does is like, if you're f- angry about like the way that schools, uh, because we, we so poorly fund our public schools that they need to reach out to Coca-Cola and stuff like that. Like, don't go look at this kid. He's eating French fries. Uh, do you think there's more of me? In- like be fucking angry. If do you, I, I just do you think he's angry? So much. Did you get the sense that he's angry? Like, I don't actually I, get the sense. I, I do think he has a cause. I think he's passionate about this cause, right? Like, I do think he has a problem with the way. Uh, I think he chooses a lot of the wrong targets throughout the documentary, which we'll get into more. Um, 
uh, or doesn't focus on the right targets a lot. Like, uh, to use an example, do we really need B-roll of overweight people to talk about it? Overweight teenagers with their faces not blurred while he says, like, look at these fat kids. (laughs) Yeah. look What the fuck? I don't know if we're going to get into it more or not, but that's something I really want to flag is what the film is doing with uh, images of overweight people or what it sees as overweight people. Because it's kind of it's 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 a terrible aspect of the film. (laughs) It is. And um, and that's the thing. So he can, like, discuss an issue that's real. And then he interviews kids like and makes like some poorly paid uh, school worker watching children to answer for a kid buying a french fry and a cookie and so i think he's passionate about the issue and i think the way it comes across is again being a little shit to all the wrong people and also wearing it with this fake smile that like i believe that he's trying to craft a i'm a likable guy persona and failing i guess So he does come from the I associate him with the South Park generation of of filmmakers, which is because one of the things I I admire about uh, the Gen X in general. um, Don't worry, Rick. uh, (laughs) Is is that they had a uh, a, a genuine detachment from a lot of mainstream conservatism and uh, religious religious taboos and we're willing to stomp all over them but there was a sort of South Park I mean it's the most iconographic version of this sort of detachment from everything that leached into a lot of sort of serious efforts at changing hearts and minds. And Morgan Spurlock feels like that that sort of like blase, smug sort of approach to the material um, feels... it doesn't feel like a like a John Stossel or you know like a, a, a smugness of a different generation. It feels specifically like a smugness that we know. Like, uh, and it's um, it it when he starts talking at the beginning of the movie, he's just he has this certain tone of voice where he's just like, yeah, exactly. Aaron said, "Ain't I a stinker?" Like he has this certain tone of voice. I think I think that South Park thing is such a good call out because it is so much of the yeah. Hey, I'm just a I'm just a regular guy. Like you're just saying I'm gonna get to eat Big Macs. Oh, this is good food. I'm gonna eat this for thirty <laughs> days. It's gonna be so good. Oh, but oh, but I can't help but notice as I eat these Big Macs. <laughs> There's a people who can't fit into the pants I'm wearing, and now I can't fit into the pants. <laughs> oh, I wonder if they're related. Like it it is that which is yeah. like I'm just a regular dude. Everyone else is crazy. And and the the moment that he started talking, just the cadence and his voice and the way he's like trying to crack jokes in this sort of like, am I even making a joke kind of manner? Like, am I committed yeah. to any of this kind of manner? Um, made both me and my wife at the exact same time utter out within 30 seconds of the movie starting, oh God. Do you remember what you said, oh God, too? Was it, were you <laughs> it watching the, the George jokes- Burns movie <laughs> yeah i was watching uh, oh god part you two devil. um and then my wife corrected me she said no it's oh god part two no we we uh no it was it was the opening 30 second monologue and we both let out an exasperated sigh in the first 30 seconds because like it just feels so, so much of this feels hokey and it feels like it, it's it's 
Yeah, it feels incredibly phony. And, and you know, some of it, the production value stuff, it's like, yes, I mean, it's from 2004. They had no money. That doesn't matter. Money doesn't really matter to a good documentarian, right? Like a lot of my favorite documentaries look like they were made for like two nickels that yeah. they rubbed together. Um, but the, the, the sort of phoniness of him up against the, the sub YouTube phoniness of uh, this uh, just really like got my teeth grinding immediately. Yeah, and I did. Uh, I don't know if I said it. I, I liked this movie quite a bit when it came out and it kind of became I never owned it, but it became a movie that like I would put on in the background. It kind of served the same purpose that the King of Kong serves for me today, which is it's brightly colored. It's fast paced. When I want to watch a movie, but not watch a movie, I'm going to throw it in. <laughs> like because like I, it's not even a narrative feature. If I get a five minute segment, I, I'm going to be good. Right. And I, I, you probably, it probably you supersized me for that for like a year or so. Like it would be on IFC, it would be on stuff, and it's like I can catch ten minutes of this, and that's fine because it's going to move on to another point, and I can go about my day. And I think I watched uh, a few episodes of Thirty Days, and like never, it never like was, it, it felt way more contrived and less interesting, and its its points it was trying to prove was less. Uh, less clear to me many times. Like, oh, is prison bad? I think you could live in prison for one day and be, and be like, I don't like this. Should I not kill people so I don't go to prison? I can see. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and, uh, but yeah, this, uh, and I also like, it takes a real shit, both as a human being, or at least as persona in this movie, and as a, as a documentary in, or documentarian for me to watch this movie and have a couple moments where I'm like, yeah, McDonald's has a point. <laughs> like how hard is it to make a movie that rightfully <laughs> makes McDonald's correctly exposes? But like, there's a part where, where, uh, where at near the end of the movie where a McDonald's spokesman writes his like response and is like, yeah, I mean, you ate 5,000 calories a day and didn't stop when you were full. Like if you eat 5,000 calories of, of most things, you're going to put on weight and feel sick. Like that's too many calories of anything. Like you, you would, you would be full and like, I got to finish every meal. <laughs> like that you're, and it was like, yeah, that is like, sure, McDonald's is unhealthy and immoral and blah, blah, blah. But that is a good point. Like, the experiment is bad. <laughs> it's really bad. Yeah. And, like, I could forgive the experiment being bad if the arguments surrounding it. Because, obviously, the experiment is sort of a framework to hang the movie on, right? It's a structure. Um, yeah. If the experiment were bad... Uh, but his arguments surrounding it and interlacing throughout the experiment were sound and thoughtful. Uh, I could I could forgive that. I'd be like, oh, well, there's kind of a cute, like, jokey thing he does in the middle. And then you get to watch a guy do some disgusting jackass shit. Uh, <laughs> like, it, that, that'd be kind of fun, right? It'd be like a, a little bit for the id scratching, like, jackass side of me. But then um, also I could think about, like, how these I could look at the structures that surround us every day in terms of like the fast food marketing and, and uh, just in general food marketing that surrounds us and be like, oh, I, I'm looking at my world a different way and I had fun. Instead, it's just it, it's so it's fluffy throughout and the experiment is like obviously bullshit and we can we can piece this all out. But yeah, like the, the I, I find almost nothing redeemable at this movie, but alas, 
this movie had a positive impact on the world. It did. It was enough of a cultural phenomenon that it shamed McDonald's into changing a few practices that are indefensible. So it's the weird documentary that is bad all the way around, right? Like it's a bad movie. It's um it's a bad it's a bad way to present an argument. The it's the persona of the person that made it is is the bad. worst. The person <laughs> who the person who made it is a garbage person. Mm. And like there's just there's nothing in here. Uh, I mean, as some of the interview subjects, oh, it features a uh, noted rapist Jared Fogel. I mean, it's really bad. We'll talk about that a little more. Uh and somehow it probably had more of an impact from an advocacy perspective than any of the other documentaries will be done. That's pretty strange. Yeah. Yeah. So, Aaron. But yeah, uh, I also watched the sequel. So we'll, we'll talk about all that. Peter, let's get into it more. Um, you want to talk more about uh, Super Size Me? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I turn my camera on. I was yeah. thinking about Morgan Spurlock this morning, and I was getting mad. <laughs> <laughs> He's kind of the fucking worst. He really is. There's, there's just so much, like, smarm. Like, his handlebar mustache. Like, everything that's iconic about Morgan Spurlock is just, like, enervated. Like, I feel like, you know, like, uh, my, <laughs> yes, my yes, hands yes. clench into a little bit of a fist. Not like I want to kick his ass. I probably couldn't. He seems really tall, but... <laughs> He's 6'2 from the movie's... Uh... Yeah, oh, that guy seems really tall. I have his fucking vitals. I should know exactly. <laughs> he shares his medical charts with us. Yeah, if I was taking notes, I wouldn't have to ask such silly questions. <laughs> uh, Peter, you are alternate taglines. I care about you, fatty. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, that's, that's good. Mine would be thinner on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> like the movie thinner. Uh, yeah, I got you. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Yeah, I got it. He cursed himself mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to, to shove quarter pounders down him. Uh, down his throat. Yeah. Uh yeah, when so they I do said a pop doc, I didn't know he'd be drinking so much pop. That's Midwest parlance for soda. <laughs> That's what I call it. I think soda's a weird thing to call pop. Yeah, I call it soda. But you came from Illinois. Did you just do that to buck the local trends? Uh, I think like there's like a bubble around Chicago that uses soda and then everything, everything else near me, like Wisconsin, Michigan, all that is, is pop. Pop. <laughs> Rick, what do you got? Soda, pop, phosphate. No, I, gr- I grew up saying soda. Yes. I, soda, soda's right, I think. <sighs> yeah. The only time I would say so does and my parents said something I didn't agree with. Like, so, duh. <laughs> Huh. Hey, Aaron. Um, do, you, do you want to stop the podcast forever? Do you want to stop the podcast? Hey, Aaron, do you want to uh, give us a recap on this movie? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a, doesn't have to be a yeah. full beat by beat no. thing. How, how, how could you possibly? How could you possibly? Um, what the fuck is and this? And then, uh, yeah, so uh, Morgan Spurlock, who seemed to have been a, a production assistant, um, from what I gather from the film, decided to make a movie. He's like, what if I show how bad fast food is for everyone? Be- 
by um, by eating a bunch of it, eating only McDonald's for 30 days. And this kind of ties into at the time uh, there was a lawsuit that was brought against McDonald's for uh, cause in the same way that uh, kind of a class action lawsuit uh, originally brought against uh, like uh, uh, R.J. Reynolds and the cigarette companies for giving making them ill from eating their product. It was a similar lawsuit with the same lawyer. So that was kind of the focal point where he's like, I've read now we're suing McDonald's for making us uh, unhealthy. Is is McDonald's actually at fault for this? I'm going to they want you to eat all your all the food all the time. So I'm going to take them up on their offer and I I'm going to eat 30 days of McDonald's. I'm going to get a team of doctors to monitor how I go. I'm a generally a uh, healthy person who exercises. Uh, I'm going to eat McDonald's for 30 days. And then he does this thing that I hate, which is also part of the experiment uh, where he decides that instead of just seeing what does McDonald's do to me from a from a company and what is their food if eaten in large quantities do to me, which is already a suspect uh, experiment, he then decides that he is going to, in a, in a real indictment of the people that he's supposedly uh, an everyman of, decides to take everyone's average uh, exercise and movement, uh, which has nothing to do with McDonald's whatsoever, and say, not only am I going to eat McDonald's for three days, I'm going to stop exercising. And I'm going to have a step counter because the average dumb idiot fat American only walks two to three thousand steps. So I'm going to limit myself in steps. Uh, and anytime anyone asks me if I'm going to supersize, it, I'm going to supersize it because holy shit, look how much food we're giving people. Of course, it's a terrible amount of food. So throughout the course of the movie, you kind of have these little vignettes of like what he's focusing on. So how does McDonald's and other food companies marketing budget? How, what has been the evolution of, um, what has been the evolution of kind of sizes at McDonald's? Like, is this lawsuit, uh, 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 legitimate? Is it something that that makes sense? Is McDonald's duping? There's, there's interviews with lawyers, and uh, has the country itself kind of suffered a lack of fitness uh, epidemic in uh, eating foods that are worse for you, and kind of living in a society that uh, thinks exercise and fresh air and some other things are less important. And uh, a good chunk, too, on the way McDonald's is marketed to children and kind of uh, set up to be like a drug that you get hooked on. You like the Happy Meal. You like the play places. You like the the clown and the characters. You end up eating this food throughout your entire life. And that is why McDonald's is insidious in their um uh, in their attempts and at fault. Uh, so throughout the course of the movie, uh, Morgan Spurlock, he does eat, as I mentioned, 5,000 calories around a day. Uh, he, he, um, he does gain about 28 pounds. Uh, his cholesterol, liver, a bunch of other things goes up. Um, and at the end of the movie, he, it's kind of, Again, in that, like, I'm not trying to say, look, it, I, I'm just a, I'm just a regular country PA. Like, far be it for me to say that McDonald's is a bad corporation. <laughs> but the, I'm just a guy with a handlebar mustache. I don't I'm just know. a guy with a handlebar mustache and a very nice girlfriend who I'll eventually leave. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and apparently cheat on. <laughs> um, uh, but he's like, but I mean, I don't know. But it seems pretty suspect that I stopped exercising, stopped walking, 
ate uh, two to three times the amount of calories and things happened to my body. Seems weird. Anyway, that's the end of the movie. McDonald's won't return my calls. Uh, <laughs> so, again, it's it's not... Peter mentioned Food, Inc., and I think the most interesting part of this movie that I would have, like, appreciated a focus on is the concept of uh, food like this is marketed to children. When they show kind of the budget of candy companies, when they show the budget of fast food companies and how much of their marketing budget compares to, say, like, government ads about, you know, eat five healthy meals or whatever it is a day. And also, like, the way they use prizes and cartoon characters and the way that, like, literally they, uh, you know, all these Coke, Pepsi, Dorito, like, all these companies have essentially subsidized learning for schools that the government should be provided and gives them, like, shit to eat all day. Like, uh Focusing on, like, the corruption between food companies and our government and the way it affects children and other people would have been a very interesting documentary topic. Um, That is, like, the only thing about this movie that is relatively, for the most part, interesting to me. Um, But, I again, I think even that section does a very cursory flyby and then kind of plants in a way that, uh, even though it says all those things about those companies, then goes to these um, schools and kind of indicts the teachers like they have anything to fucking do with (laughs) what the school decides. And the children and then the parents and... It also is missing a huge fucking part. Like, the biggest part of this movie that is missing when you're telling this story is the fact that healthy options for people in general are much more expensive. And so the the idea of keeping costs low on unhealthy food that um, – I forget. There, I, I thought it was in this documentary. It's not. But there's a scene and maybe it's Food Inc. Maybe it's something else where like – the the you know the mother of three who's making minimum wage which is like five fifteen because our country sucks and has no benefits and has barely any childcare is like I can feed them all for four dollars tonight if I go to McDonald's like where else can I go to do that I don't want I know McDonald's is bad I don't want to feed them McDonald's every night but where else can I do that? Like that gives them what everyone is telling me I should feed them like that is a story worth telling and it's just nowhere to be find, found here. Here's the thing because I think to tell that story it would need an entirely different lens because the lens yeah. that he chooses is this sort of individual one like what will this food do to my body? That's the stunt. But to talk about you know um, the availability of foods, to talk about people being uh, both like money poor and time poor because people are stretched thin without childcare and with, you know, working two jobs and all the rest of the shit. And this is food that's there and it's the food that's close. And then it's, you know, made palatable or attractive in various ways would require uh, a discussion of class and it would require a discussion of capitalism. And that's not actually what he's interested in doing. He's trying to split the difference between, you know, fast food nation and jackass. And uh, it doesn't work. Yeah, there's a dis- you're, you're you're right. There's a distinct uh, shallowness here that um, it's a shallowness, but also a cruelty, and it, which is a bad combo. It's bad to be yep. uh, uh, cruel and dumb. Um, 
the, the, it's true. The, there's a one moment of empathy. You're saying he's the he's the documentary in Fox News? Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> cruel and dumb. Yeah. Cruel and dumb. In Food Inc., let's compare a documentary made later in a different environment that was maybe more conducive to these conversations. I don't know. It was only four years later. Oh Jesus. Alright, so no sympathy whatsoever for Morgan Spurlock. Um Food Inc., which uh was made just a little yeah, bit Yeah, and the, and the book Fast Food Nation came out a few years before this movie. 2001, yeah. 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 Food Inc. has a, a extremely sympathetic tone where they spend time with farmers who both have chosen to raise chickens for McDonald's and they raise farmers who are, you know, hit hardest because they've chosen to not, uh, you know, be part of that economy. They choose time to, they choose to spend time with working class parents who legitimately work two jobs a day and don't have time to like go and they don't have time to cook for their family because they're basically picking them up from school dropping off um the uh the kids with whatever food they can get quickly and then going to their second job some some version of that and also they're getting paid shittily for their efforts again back to the capitalism point so they don't have the money to make salads for their kids every day with like fresh veg fresh organic vegetables or uh, fresh uh, vegan food for their kids every day like the 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 cost the the point is that mcdonald's has made it so it's much cheaper for families to feed their for parents to feed their families garbage um than it is for them to be able to afford a home-cooked meal for them. And the movie has no sympathy for them. Um, It has no sympathy for overweight people. It also, it treats overweightness as this sort of um, one-track kind of thing. Like this uh, fat is bad, skinny is good. And then it some yeah. If, if you eat this food and you don't exercise, like millions of Americans, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Maybe some you. people are happy yeah. being overweight. Maybe some people have a genetic connection to that weight bearing that has nothing to do with them eating McDonald's. Like maybe there's a cultural component to the way such things are considered. There's like all kinds of what ifs, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all these things that make uh, overweight. Obesity in this country is a problem because people are not getting nutrition with those calories, right? Like, and heart disease, the heart disease associated with it and the fact that we're eating trash food that's hurting the environment. Like, those are all big, complicated issues. And I don't want to, like, unpack all that right right now. But the point here is he has no sympathy for kind of anyone involved. But he pretends to at one point in a really kind of offensive moment where there's a... Uh, a teenager who's talking about her body image issues, and he chooses to overlay that scene with images of women in uh, from magazines, like models in for magazines. But uh, it's such a good example of how Morgan Spurlock chooses to take a very vulnerable human moment and then stomp all over it with his very like one-dimensional yeah. version of argument. Well, it also implies that. That what what you're seeing in the magazine is healthy, which again, it this this movie posits that weight indicates health, which is not true. Which health, uh, you can be a healthy individual and and have and healthy involves a lot of things. Nutrition's a big part of that, and be a variety of different weights based on your your body type, right? Like, um, what um, culturally, what are what are what what's happened, I think, is that our culture has decided that um, 
uh, how what we prize from a um, physical attractive perspective and again culturally i'm not saying individuals or that this is right or anything like that but what we what we've put on the cover of magazines what we've said is this is how you're supposed to look we've decided that that is equal to healthy as well which um which is obviously one of the big problems and by spurlock kind of spurlock never talks about the other that other component right like he he even when he meets bob right the guy that eats two big macs a day He's like, well, look at this guy. He's eating McDonald's and he's skinny. Ergo, he is healthy. Um, he never talks about, A, is he actually healthy? As far as we know, his cholesterol's through the roof and his heart's about to explode. Right. <laughs> don't know that. Or we don't know, like, does he eat two Big Macs and then everything else is fruit? Plus, he walks five miles. Plus, his genetic disposition is, is he's always been kind of considered skinny. Because You know, like, there's so many things that go into it. But he's like our example of health. <clears throat> And the only judgment is that, unlike other people I've shown you who have been eating McDonald's, including myself, he is not <laughs> disgusting to look at. So interesting counterpoint. Right. Well, he's a that's an interesting example, too, because an example also just of the, you know, like the surface level shallowness of his interest in each of those yeah. people. But I think another funny thing, though, about the scene you're talking about, Pete, is that I think it's supposed to be empathetic i think he thinks that it's empathetic oh yeah like so like bored of it (laughs) so but that's right there's no the it moves on from there but there's also like her face gets covered up and like blotted out with like a boing sound or some fucking stupid thing but it's like (laughs) the it's that's characteristic of a lot of it because he often will be saying you know there's just this tone of saying these, these people are being lied to, these corporations duping you, taking your money. But while he's saying that, the camera is like lingering in like slow motion over what I imagine are supposed to be like the grotesqueries of these bodies, right? Like it's really grossed out by the people that it's saying are victims in the situation whose side it's on. Like it's very confused. And that's it happens again and again. Like the people, yeah. he doesn't seem to know how to side with people without also insulting them. Yeah, yeah. I think that to get back to that school scene is like the perfect example, right? Where he like is like, in order to subsidize learning at these schools, many local public schools have uh, have brought in Coke or Nestle or to fill their vending machines and make their food for them. Right? Great. And then his next scene is like asking some person who works in the lunchroom going, did that like, did that kid just buy two things of French fries? Okay. Make her tell you where it's from. And she's like, well, I, and the lady clearly is like, God, this sucks. Like I'm on <laughs> film and this is an embarrassing situation, but yeah. again, I didn't put this stuff here. Um, I have not been given permission to stop kids from buying things because I'm making judgments on it. Like, yeah. That is not a, that is not a part of my job. I'd probably get fired to be honest. And then I, I wouldn't have a job. Um, and then like, and so it takes like, him like 10 minutes to get to the point where he actually talks to someone who might be responsible. Well, yeah, and and she like she tries so hard to be like, yeah, I'm sure she's bringing it for friends. Like, dude, what what do you want me to say here? And then he's like, hey, kid, are you bringing these for friends? And she's like, no. He's like, you said you said that she was bringing it for friends. So <laughs> like like what the fuck? Muck, like, muck muck raking, so muckraking like, journalism at its finest. Really yeah. really stuck it to them. 
the uh, <laughs> that that uh, junior high that they go to um, is in my hometown that I grew up in and is ten minutes from my house. <laughs> Like, did you ever go there and ask the kids if they were buying food for friends? <laughs> I, did, I did. I was so I was at what what would I have been in 2004? I would have been 12 or 13. Um so I was I was I was, at, I was around that age. You were 10 minutes away from getting asked if all of the chocolate bars you were bringing were for your friends. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was 10 minutes away and then he does have a fucking like we talked about earlier. He does have Shots in the hallways of high schools of uncensored kids' faces as he talks about these fat little kids that he hates so much. <laughs> Seriously, like, that, I, I, that could that could have been me—the fat little kid just getting shamed and supersized me. Oh, Pete, being being ostensibly uh, ostensibly buying French fries maybe that day. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, I used to like. I used to buy French fries and a cookie every single day, and I did not get overweight until much later in life, um, uh, because I I uh, because I have children, don't exercise, and, <laughs> and, make, and make a lot of poor eating decisions that I'm very aware of. But um, you better be careful. You know, Morgan, Morgan Spurlock's gonna like show up at your house with a camera. Do you know? Like talking to your wife, trying to get her to admit. <laughs> Yeah, something. it'll be like I'll be like eating a bag of Doritos at eleven fifteen or something, and they'll be like, "Does he do? Does he do it every night?" No, he's probably just hungry, and we didn't go grocery shopping. One of those is and, probably and then, for the and, kid. And, and then Morgan's like, "Aaron, do you do it every night?" And I'm like, "Uh huh, if we have them." And then my wife's like, "My wife's like trying to explain that it's not every night." Sometimes yeah, he eats the- raw ramen. Oh no. That's uh, like a that's like that's like borderline pica though. Like your your weird your your weird uh need to eat raw ramen is uh We uh, we have only talked about that off air. Yeah. <laughs> that's not like a yeah, gout this thing, is, although this is he does to he does get told in this movie that he's at risk of gout. Uh and I thought, Peter, that had to end up in your notes somewhere. <laughs> do you know do you know what Aaron? I, I didn't take notes, but I meant to I meant to bring that up because I think of you when I think of gout. <laughs> It's nice. It's glad I've been able to do that for so many people. I used people. to think of kings from the 16th century. <laughs> not, not anymore. It's not a king disease, baby. It's just, just me. Um, and yeah, now I'm going to have to, like in two weeks, I'm going to be like anxiety calling doctors. Like, when they say underlying health issues for coronavirus, does that include gout? They're going to be like, no. It's a lung disease. You get uric acid in your toe. You, uric acid in your toe. Uh, I said uric castle because I was thinking about what a king I was. You're um, king of Piss Mountain. King of Piss Mountain. Uh, yeah, so we, we talked about the scene uh, where they go through the magazines and the eighth grader feels bad. Let's let's do this. Let's rip the bandaid off. Let's talk about uh, a scene that resulted in multiple text messages for to me to Peter and then uh, a few other messages from Rick to the rest of us about have you seen this movie yet? Because uh, there's someone in it. There's a surprise. Yeah. Celebrity cameo. Cele- there's a celebrity guest in the movie, which, again, just speaks to how this movie does everything wrong. <laughs> like, there's celebrity. Uh-huh. It's not Morgan Spurlock's fault that their celebrity guest uh, is in jail for the rest of his life for literally the most horrific crime that you could commit. Um 
but it kind of just speaks to the energy of the movie as a whole, I think. Um, <laughs> Morgan Spurlock that- later being, being found out as a sex pest is also just like, yes, no, I'm sure they weren't like comparing notes and talking shop behind scene, but like the, the, the like, that, that it just adds an extra layer of grime to this already kind of grimy <laughs> endeavor. Yeah, it's because there is a scene where Morgan Spurlock and Jared Fogel complain about McDonald's, and in that triumvirate, while there's no heroes, McDonald's comes out looking the best. Yeah. <laughs> as far um, as we know, Ronald McDonald's hands are clean. His hands are clean in that way, specifically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Jared Fogel, and also, he starts on screen, so they have him, they go to a school where he's speaking, we literally see a scene of, like, what I imagine his, like, what he did, which is talk to a mom and an eighth grader about how he used to feel and how he can help and stuff. It's very bad. It's also very bad that like he his first thing is you see him up at a podium at a, at a junior high and he goes, I didn't do drugs. I didn't do all this stuff. My big vice. Was I only had one vice. I only had one vice. <laughs> And yeah, how can you not go, oh, I think there was another one. I think there's two vices that you actually had, Jared. Um, this also yeah. comes shockingly early in the movie. Like, it's it's in the first, like, 20 minutes of the movie, as I recall. Yeah, it's we, really quick. We encounter Jared Yeah, get Fogel. your big so celebrity it, out there. Oh, man, I guess you got to lead, you gotta lead with, uh, with the big guns, and that's what you get. Yeah, it is... Uh, it literally made me burst out laughing, but not in like a, obviously not in a... <clears throat> I shouted, oh no. Yeah, because it just is, it's kind of like when we were watching Rookie of the Year and they said some very offensive word that kind of reminded us it wasn't offensive in 1994, but should have been, right? But like, just like the ease of with these likable characters say something like that you would, if one of your friends said it today, you would be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, it made both Peter and I laugh out loud at just the audaciousness of it, right? right? And so when all of a sudden you see Jared Fogel, it was the same reaction. It was just like, you have, I totally forgot. Like, Well, I um, went down a rabbit hole because I was like, man, the because you just see it. It's like a time capsule, right? Like, you're just seeing 2004's opinion of jared fogel and you know he was worth like 14 million dollars going around showing his pants uh to people and like he <laughs> and set he up the no charisma too in those interviews he's like yeah i was a sad kid also well, he's like anti-charismatic right he's got he's like a weird he's a very strange guy right from the start but i guess the charisma void yeah that was part of his thing and he has that awkward gross smile i don't know it's very strange the whole thing's so fucking weird yeah, I, yeah, I feel so like if, if, we you, if you need another Fogel reason, we knew he was a creep. I, I'd be like, all right, be nice to the nerd. He lost some weight and he got fourteen million dollars for <laughs> Subway sandwiches. Now, now in retrospect, I'm like, what the fuck? Why were we? You know, he also tried to appeal. He recently tried to appeal his conviction on the grounds he's a sovereign citizen. It was a little factoid I learned. <laughs> so, just a little something. You know, a little you something know, to is he think a about. citizen of his pants? I don't know. They, they, the judge did not uh, buy. Oh, I mean, good the judge. judge did not declare uh, his pants a sovereign nation. <laughs> no, I guess not. Uh, I will say, like, one thing I don't think, you know how, like, um, the Can You Hear Me Now guy, the Verizon guy, Verizon sure. kind of made, made a mistake 
and didn't renew his contract um, that they were paying him for just so he didn't appear in uh, competitors. And so, of course, AT&T or Sprint or whoever it was immediately is like, oh, yeah, we'll pay you. Everyone knows who you are. And now just go run anti-ads against. Um, <laughs> no, I, not, I have I a feeling of Jared- this, this betrayal. Uh, yeah, I uh, yeah the, the the can you hear me now guy works for one of the other companies and I think his tagline is uh, can you really hear me now or something like they did a whole big ad I can I'm sure uh, and it was like it got talked about it was you know relatively successful it's it's rare that someone so associated and like and nothing else associated with one brand sure. shows and works for another big name to comment on his previous stuff i have a sneaking suspicion that when jared fogel if he gets out of prison uh he's not gonna go start working for quiznos anytime soon i don't i don't (laughs) think uh we're gonna be seeing commercials in 20 years that's like uh i've lost a lot of weight on sub sandwiches in general Uh, (laughs) i don't i don't know how he would kind of go back on it anyways like what would he what kind of pants would he bring to the next thing like (laughs) i mean all he'd have to buy new pants i imagine all of his current ones are probably in a locker somewhere uh yeah so i i guess our point here is is that if you need another reason not to revisit this movie uh fucking jared fogel's in it an extremely extremely bad moment that you have to share with the jared fogel Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, one thing that's interesting is that the lawsuit was dismissed, right? Like, um, this movie doesn't really follow up with it. Uh, it does mention that the lawsuit, like, later on, I, I think it might mention at the end of the movie, actually, that the lawsuit didn't go anywhere. Um But while the lawsuit didn't go anywhere, as Peter mentioned, this movie did enact quite a lot of change at McDonald's. As a matter of fact, in some ways, it did feel like a a crazy time capsule because, like, not only do they not have supersized me, no, like, no restaurant has biggie sizes or supersized me drinks, like, those... Those like gallon buckets of pop you can only get if you get to go into a weird Seven Eleven and walk out with one of those giant sixty four ounce trucker, <laughs> trucker cups, um, which those were shocking like, to see in retrospect. Like it, they were a lot of places have moved away from from those. Yeah, so you 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 see that the um like the concept of the play place at McDonald's. There's one that I'm aware of in all of Minneapolis St. Paul. Now I've been to every McDonald's in Minneapolis St. Paul, but like you drive by them, and I can think of one where those used to be kind of ubiquitous. Like yeah, almost every McDonald's had a play place. I've I you know my 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 five year old like all five year olds loves McDonald's. She occasionally gets a happy meal from there. We've never gone to a hap- uh, McDonald's that had a play place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it like and then just the design of them, like you go into a McDonald's now, which you two might not have recently because you guys make better healthy choices than I do. Um, but here's what you guys don't know. I'm working on a documentary where I <laughs> where I eat uh, McDonald's for 60 days. It's called 60 Days. Mm-hmm. Um it's part of a TV show for FX I'm working on. Uh, but uh, they they like they try to make them like look like a diner in a club. Like they they go for all the hip and sleek 
look. And then also, not only did it eliminate Supersize Me, it really was a turning point in fast food for offering like that. And I do think the Subway commercials were a turning point in like what options that they offered. I do remember going to Burger King for a while near where I worked in like 2006 and seven because they introduced these new gourmet salads that were really, really good. Like, you know, they had like... um walnuts and oranges and some other stuff in them and it felt like i was eating somewhat healthier and it was really good sure. and i could get through a drive like it did kind of change what stuff is offered at these restaurants as well i think that's probably true i mean it was riding a crest of um a wave of that stuff though because i mean there was the whole um yeah all, all the 90s where the, there was the mclibel trial as well in uh in england and they made a movie about that later or the greenpeace london limiting these things like i'm sure it played a role but i literally have a list i wrote down of uh like fast food nation came out in 2001 uh food politics another kind of um uh book that was everywhere for a while the following year then super size me was out then king corn in 2007 food inc food fight and food matters all in 2008 um fat sick and nearly dead in 2010 this gmo movie all these sugar movies there was just this like this kind of wave, I think, that a lot of the uh, businesses were like, "All right, it'll be a it'll be a good look right now to not be doing so much of this." You know, not yeah. to take not to take everything away from Mr. Morgan Spurlock. Like, I'm sure this was this was a really high profile one, but it was one of many at the time. Yeah, he he was kind of. Um you're right. Like he's taking from all these other things. I would say that like he was kind of the crest of the wave from a make action happen quickly perspective like obviously there's a lot that followed it but yeah it was within 30 days of this movie coming out that mcdonald's is like never mind we won't have super size me anymore oh damn um, okay and so it yeah it really was um and then everyone else followed suit pretty quickly the biggie sizes and everything else so um yeah it was after this uh, movie was at i think sundance it got a lot of noise about how, like, McDonald's is going to have to change their practice. And I think even before the movie came out, McDonald's was like, we don't want the press of this movie coming out. So well, it was, was also – that's – Supersize me. Totally. That's another funny um, – another thing about it, too, is the is the age of, like, the Sundance sensation. Because it totally was. That was the big – Yeah. It was its big unveiling. Well, and it was like – I mean, I remember the reason I really wanted to see it when it came out is that it was – I think it came out – pre Fahrenheit 9-11 um, because you basically have like it's post bowling for Columbine that it really kind of explodes a little bit right so that's 2002 2003 is when you see winged migration and some of these other ones and then this comes out in 2004 but it was kind of like I remember reading reviews of Sundance where it was like this is gonna do for um mcdonald's and fast food what bowling for columbine did for guns that's like a pull quote that just stays stayed with me so it was one that i was very anxious to see because as we'll talk about later in the month i mean bowling for columbine it just had a very big you know uh in, in retrospect like you could say why didn't you know a lot of the stuff beforehand why didn't you understand politics but it was like it had such a big impact for me that i was really chasing movies that i thought would have that much of a uh, impact on the way I viewed the world. It, this did not. But I <laughs> when I first heard about this movie, um, it was actually in the context that um, they had been shooting it at um, a 
junior high. Just At your high school street. while you while you hid in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eating french fries. In the hallway. <laughs> just just grab, grab the french fries and get out of here. Yeah, dude, there's a guy in the camp. If he catches you, he asks you if you're going to eat the food you bought. Like, oh, go hide. <laughs> like no, I w- I was going to uh, stare at it until it got cold and then throw it away. Like I was going to meditate on all the food I wasn't eating and sort of. It's post- a it's a willpower exercise. I buy the food, I stare at it. Yeah, it's like a, most thirteen year olds. It's a sort of a consumer uh, de- decontamination uh, experiment that I've been working on, where I buy something and then don't enjoy it, and then eventually I don't enjoy buying things. Uh, no, dude, I'm making a movie, too. I need this for for my movie where I eat this every day throughout all of junior high and high school. <laughs> I'm making a... <laughs> um, but yeah, the, 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 there's a lot of... Uh, Rick jumped back, uh, not to jump back too far, but Rick uh, brought up something that's that's really potent uh, that this movie is is ignoring in uh, 2020, um, which is the the fact that capitalism has its dirty mitts all over this movie in a way yeah. that like in a way that just makes its already kind of slack pointless message feel even more slack and pointless because he holds capitalism almost uh, entirely um, almost entirely out of uh, out of responsibility for the actions depicted in it. So like the. Yes, he does say, oh, man, these marketing budgets are ballooning that, uh, you know, Pepsi spends X number of million, 200 million dollars and McDonald's spends 250 million dollars, whatever. Like they they talk about that briefly and then he just fucking moves on. And he's only talking about it in the sense that he says, like, fruits and vegetables can't compete in this marketplace. He never actually uh, questions the marketplace. And yeah, that is that is such a good call out because really quickly, he is making a movie about how capitalism damages us without ever mentioning capitalism. And even the point that I mentioned where he's talking about schools uh, being subsidized by Coke, a cola, he doesn't use the word subsidized for educational materials, which is why they're doing it because um, like that's a point that I've inserted. He just says that the schools get money from Coke without describing why they need money from Coca-Cola in yeah. the first place. One of the, the, I'm not saying this movie needed to be a fucking like uh, Chapo episode, right? Like Food Inc. Uh, I mean, it's got the douchiness down. <laughs> so I think I think it's fifty percent to a Chapo episode but already. Food Inc. Uh, per- perfectly goes after capitalism and its effect on global warming, its effect on our health, and all of that, and how that that ties into our failing healthcare system um, in such a way that you're like, man. Capitalism has failed us on on multiple fronts. Uh, I should start thinking about how uh, business intersects with my life more. Um, in this, all the only the only target he has such soft targets that you never actually think outside the bounds of that. And like now, uh, as we were talking about earlier, the uh, that Rick brought up earlier, the um, lack of focus on why people are, are buying yeah. uh, fast food more and more. Or not exercising as much. Or not like, exercising as much. The, the the lack of focus on that is is pretty damning. And there's a moment when he says that uh, these unhealthy school lunch programs want to get kids addicted to bad food, which is like such a weird thing that he does in like the the third act of this movie, as he just starts deciding that fatty food is addicting, which is a very uh, we're addicted to sugar. 
we're addicted to high fat foods. We're addicted to, you know, cheap, uh, cheap trans fats. We're addicted to cheap meat. Like we're addicted to high protein diets. Like all that stuff is worth exploring, but he doesn't actually explore here is how McDonald's has completely changed our food economy. Um, and he doesn't talk about how the reason that, uh, these, uh, these these food companies come in and they buy out the contract at a very competitive low price. Yeah. And then they don't choose to do salads and, you know, homemade baked lasagna and shit. Uh, the reason they don't choose to do that is because they bought out this contract at a low price and now they need to sell you cheap shit like fucking frozen french fries that they throw into a deep fryer and frozen pizzas that they throw into, you know, a, a, a big fucking oven with seven other pizzas like all of all of this stuff that's not being handmade it's not being taken with care it has almost no nutritional value it's because that's the these mcdonald's these mcdonald's conglomerate giants have made it so that our food system has an incredibly cheap and easy access to food that's bad for us on a macro scale it's not just that we have cheap and easy access to food <laughs> on a micro yeah. scale it, it's it's that yeah. the systems the systems in place at a macro scale also have access to these economies of scale of garbage yeah, and there's a the really great like little moment that that out, that really emphasizes what you're talking about. So there's a part where he's listing all the places that there's McDonald's, and at one point he's like, "There's even a McDonald's in hospitals," and then it just moves on. It's like, okay, why is there a McDonald's in the hospital? Like that would be something to talk about. Yeah. Like, but but I guess like he either he has not done any thinking as to why this would be and just just literally walks around like someone who recently got hit in the head and is like ha huh, all this stuff is weird uh, I'm a, <laughs> like how did this happen like you're right, it, which, you're right. he absolutely has it's like he has a concussion that's like his vibe he's like, like you guys ever notice there's fucking mcdonald's everywhere that's like he does the like john stossel thing where he tries yeah. to hide his he tries to hide his biases but behind this like aw shuck shit i like the i love the i love the that he's got hit in the head and then he's just wandering aimlessly around because that's so true they're like they're like gosh i don't know why i'm going into this mock mcdonald's performing this big fucking publicity stunt experiment to make my career work <laughs> i don't know why i would do that i go oh supersize it yeah sure i guess i'll have it uh part of my concussion is i can't say no uh also gotta eat everything i see i'm surprised he doesn't at one point like eat the fucking wrapping that it comes with he's like it's yeah. part of the food Maybe they, but, <laughs> but anyways um he um um yeah he like the, the hospital thing is such a great example of where it's worth pausing and making either yourself as the documentary or the audience think about why there's a mcdonald's in the hospital it's everything that peter just said right like but i guess you're supposed to think like those greedy hospitals are just like money 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 or i don't know do you think that like mcdonald's like annexed it like it was a war yeah like it's do you it's think they're like, they've taken like when over. no one was looking they're such a nefarious organization that they like punch someone out put up golden arches and everyone's like i guess there's a mcdonald's here now right well this is also kind of i think kind of a consequence of it's uh it's got this like rapid fire aesthetic right like it's like <laughs> info info here's a thing here's a thing time to move on to the next thing like oh my god the cutesy animations and the bloopy bleepy sound effects are so yeah. fucking annoying 
I will yeah. say the guy that does the animation has my favorite line in the movie. Um, he probably is like a a decent guy. Like he's what he's angry at cap. Like he is like angry at capitalism. Is making some <laughs> not so great art, but whatever. Like it's fine. But he says when he lists all the ubiquitous big box stores, he lists Kmart, which is very adorable <laughs> in this day and age. Uh, so yeah. I think the hero of this movie is whoever uh, circled Morgan Spurlock's penis at the end. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I actually, if we hey, can, if we can we talk about qu- quickly. Yeah, we can talk about Morgan Spurlock's penis and how I think this it, it fits into the uh, oh, gross. Um, how it fits into the overall <laughs> uh, purposes of this movie. Are we going to talk that, about his butthole more, or can we? Yeah, move past his the butthole, butthole and his penis. So, um, okay. <laughs> Rick. I'm really glad you caught that they, he circles his penis on a diagram and writes worthless next to it because it feels like it's like humiliation shaming on a sexual level that like has never been done before. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I feel like, like it, it everyone also, look it, at my worthless penis. <laughs> <laughs> well, it also kind of sucks because it's like, you know, that Spurlock left it in there to show that he's like a good sport. So I kind of don't like it for that reason. But then yeah. on principle, I think it's great. So there's oh, also a regular a, guy whose penis sucks. There's <laughs> also a very like 20 minutes before that when they actually have a testimonial of his girlfriend saying talking about sex and and yeah. uh, and, and uh, the testimonial is is somewhat flattering. It's just like, well, he's he gets tired more easily. So I got on top and, uh, you know, sometimes it takes him a little longer to get it up. But when he once he gets it up, man, he's still like a jackrabbit. And it was like, that's not what you wanted for the movie, is it? Oh, oh, now I get it. This is all some big fucking narcissistic circle jerk experiment for you. This is this is us literally getting a peek inside your asshole. Yeah. And <laughs> and th- that's why I think the rectal scene is so central to my understanding of this movie, because a there's literally no reason to show us that unless except for some uh, jackass level sort of like. Uh, you know, I'm ruining my body for camera, so you get to watch a scene of this uh, toy car going up my ass. <laughs> like, there's no other reason for it to be there other than my theory, which is that he wants, he has this smug sense of self-congratulation that feeds into every aspect of the movie, and it also feeds into um, us having to sit and watch him talk about how great his body is and how healthy his sex life is and how great his relationship is and then uh, watch him degrade his body in sort of a manner that we're supposed to take as a sacrificial savior act it's a it, it doesn't it yeah. doesn't feed, it doesn't read as an ex, does it read as an experiment to you guys on this watch it reads to me no. as this like big act of publicity stunt narcissism but it's oh yeah but it it has a smugness and a self-satisfaction, whereas, like, even Jackass, uh, a respectable program, uh, has... I was going to say, I do want to interject. I think Jackass has produced some of the great art of the 20th century. But is, yeah, Jackass, Jackass is great. Jackass is great. But my point with Jackass is that Jackass is specifically about, like, to me at least, um, the, like, uh, undoing of our narcissism and our smugness about our own bodies and like our attachment to ourselves. It's almost this like Buddhist act of self-denial. Like it's a very, it's a very like interesting philosophically show that like is uh, on its surface level, the dumbest fucking thing possible. Um, This on its surface level, but it it also has really quick. 
since we'll probably never talk about Jackass for at least any time in the next year or so. <laughs> it also has that, like, almost like it takes Cronenbergian uh, body horror and makes it into a comedy. But it's the same thought of, like, God, my f- all my fleshy parts are so fucking weird. Yeah. What if I do this <laughs> to it? It's about, yeah. like, the frailty, frailty and permeability of the body, yeah. for sure. And it's also about empathy, often, which is something that this movie pretends to be about and is lying. And yeah, Jackass so is a really good example of never being a dick to other people. And like, even though they're a dick to each other, it's a buy-in they've all made that like, like they're not going up to strangers on the streets and shaving people's hair. Like, you know, they're doing that to a group of people that has decided that these are our boundaries or lack thereof. And this is part of everything that we are like signing off for. So it's not putting like innocent people as ever the butt of the joke. <clears throat> yeah, I very rarely doubted the sincerity of um, of Jackass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. And, and so the, the my point here was that this is specifically this like shallow, uh, that supersized me is this shallow act of narcissism and specifically about the great tragedy it is to, to uh, sacrifice this man's body for his art. And uh, at the end of it, he throws himself this big party that he finished up the experiment. (laughs) He bites all his doctors. Why are his doctors coming to his party? (laughs) Your doctors don't come to your parties? (laughs) No, like, hey, guys, I'm going to stop eating shit that you don't want me to eat anymore. And they come to the McDonald's, which feels also like... I don't know if they, like a hypocritic they, oath violation. They but. eat McDonald's. At least the, yeah. those two uh, those two doctors do. Or maybe the nutritionist. Who's he, who's splitting a portion? They're like, eh, we're splitting a portion. The, the, the nutritionist and someone else, yeah. The entire – the rectal exam scene is also something that, like, stood out for me because other than that, this feels like it's like a PG-13 uh, pop doc um, that, like, you could show to any, uh, you know, high school or junior high class. And the movie feels very calculated for the broadest ap- appeal possible, um, except for certain moments where you're like, Morgan Spurlock included this because Morgan, it made Morgan Spurlock feel good in including this. Like, Well, I also think it made it. <laughs> I think this. Yeah, I think it's a good call out because I do think it like it's like, hey, I'm a, like it does do that both sides bullshit where it's like, I'm going to give a little bit of like McDonald's how I'm marketing to kids. And then I'm going to go, but shouldn't this student make more responsible decisions? And shouldn't this teacher, these these <coughs> teachers that live off the system be held? Like, it is it is like something that, like, you and your Fox News loving, like, grandma could watch. And probably you would focus on different things that, like, spoke to you. Yeah. But it's, it's such – it's so critical of the consumers as, like, a Ann Randy and, like – um, you should be making better choices, right? Um, while having some hints of like, like, hey, if you know what I'm saying, you know that this is capitalism's fault. But if you don't, I'm not going to draw any lines whatsoever uh, to it. And I actually think that actually goes into the we're we're kind of getting close to to the end here. And I want to talk about two things that we haven't talked about. But I think it's a uh, so Morgan Spurlock. Also, like you talked about like this idea of I'm just a regular guy, but ultimately I'm self-promoting and, and I, I do these stunts to make Morgan Spurlock look good. So he made a sequel to this movie. It was shot in 2017. It was shelved for two years. It was about to come out. 
Uh, and then uh, the Me Too, Harvey Weinstein, all that stuff started to happen. And Morgan Spurlock did something that I think was incredibly disingenuous. Um, and in that, like, I think he was wor- he was worried about. He, I mean, he said this in his letter. He said he was he he was a change man. He was worried about ending up like other people, so he made a press release of the times that he uh, got in trouble for raping someone in college, with his own defense, um, in there about how she thought it was this, I thought it was this, I got in trouble at school for raping someone, and then also. That, oh, yeah, also a few years ago, I made a huge lawsuit. Uh, they signed a non-disclosure to settle out of court because I was sexually harassing people I was working with. Um, and uh, the company that made Super Size Me 2 shelved the movie for a couple years because it seemed like a bad time to uh, to release the movie. But I honestly believe in Morgan Spurlock's head. So, obviously, like, uh, not even getting into the actions, which are, you know, deplorable. Uh, I don't even think I need to underline circle that. But, like, I honestly believe that Morgan Spurlock thought that by handling it the way that he did, that he was going to be treated as a hero. Yes. Like, I'm not trying to rate the scale of who's the worst sexual predator. He's not. But I will say there is a special evilness of trying to get credit for your sexual assaults. There's a special kind of evil that comes out of like left-leaning folks um, uh, trying to mask their uh, apologies as an act of feminism. Yeah. Josh Whedon's on that list too. Louis C.K. and Devin Faraci and all of these, these guys came forward and they're like, I own my actions and here's how I think it fits into feminism at, at, at large as opposed to just saying like, I'm a shithead monster and I'll go away now. <laughs> You're like, what do you, what do you, well, the, the Joss Whedon one was, his was the smuggest fucking thing I've ever read. Did you read the press release that he released in 2017? No, I, I, the Spur, I, no, the Spurlock one. The sorry. Spurlock one, yes. I read it uh, a couple days ago. Essentially, he was like making a show about the issues that women face, it sounds like. Uh, he's making a show that was ostensibly about feminism. I imagine it was about as deep about feminism as uh, Super Size <laughs> Me is about uh, food and uh, the business. But um, the, the the apology, yeah, it was rife with all this stuff about him shaming himself by saying, like, oh, I've cheated on every partner I've ever had and stuff in a way that, like, felt like he was getting Including off. his current wife, which he had just got married to six months before. Yeah. Like... And it sounded like his wife found out from the press release. And he also says in there that he did it so that no one could come for Like, he was... It, it is such... It's so obvious of a... Oh, shit. Someone's going to out me. So I'm going to out myself, try to save myself throughout all this, uh, congratulate myself, and, and kind of expecting other people. And I think, like, it's not necessarily related to supersize me, but I do think... It like the, what he's doing in Supersize Me of being like a shithead, self-aggrandizing shithead who wants congratulation while being oh shucks, I'm just trying to do the right thing and tell a story. Um, is is so like apparent in his actual real world uh, monstrosities that he's committed. Yep. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a problem um, that's endemic in a lot of uh, lefty communities. A dude problem, we should be really clear. Like, people, yep. it's this notion of, you know, I'm going to own... I'm going to own these um, transgressions, but I also want credit. And and forgiveness. And forgiveness. And then basically sucking up all the oxygen in the room um, with your sort of like, uh, you know, it, it's both a it's it's an apology that functions as as um, virtue signaling, I guess, uh, which is a word that usually people on the right use. But it's kind of what what people are up to when they're like, I know the right vocab. I know the language. I'm going to atone in a way that actually I come out um, cleaner on the other side wow. of this. And uh, yeah, I think it is part and parcel of the whole smugness that's in the movie. It's the same. It's the phoniness. It's you can just tell that there's a phoniness at its core. Yeah, I'm doing this not to atone, not because I'm sorry, not as an act of contrition, not as a recognition that I may suffer permanent consequences from people in that I don't know who no longer want to uh, uh, disseminate my work um, and probably people in my real life. It, like, is not actually facing any of that stuff. And that that's kind of the common thing, right? Like, I uh, – well, how, and, and the people that defend the Spurlocks and the Louis C.K., it's also the, well, what does he have to do to earn your forgiveness? It's like, well, fu- who says he he's going to earn my forgiveness? <laughs> yeah. Like, or, like or, or, you know, not me specifically, but, like, like – we're not children. Like, because someone says they're sorry, you don't need to say, I forgive you. And, like, it's that's not quite how it works. But uh, leading to that, I did watch Super Size Me 2, Holy Chicken, um, which having that movie delayed is somewhat humorous because it is about him opening a restaurant. And the the headlines he's trying to get is... Morgan Spurlock, noted anti-fast food activist, opens a fast food restaurant. Uh, and he gets a lot of, like, local television stations uh, run those exact clips. Like, uh, can you believe this? What is going on with Morgan Spurlock? And, of course, he's, like, acting like he's trying. Like, it's, I, I don't know if anyone believed it at the time, but I'm assuming literally no one did. Um but he is setting it up that he is he's like, this is where the money is. I'm just going to try to open a restaurant, a uh, fast food restaurant. I learned a lot about them. I, I think this will be good. I can I can do a really good one. And that is the that is the the that's what the movie's doing throughout it. Then he goes about sourcing chickens like all the things you need to do, hiring marketers. And I think that the point is, it's like an hour and 40 minute movie, is that you're supposed to see inside how all of these decisions go into place and all these words are chosen to make you, the again, the dumb consumer, understand why the chicken that you're eating or the fast food that you're eating isn't necessarily um, a gourmet, uh, healthy uh, uh, harm-free experience, which 
to make that movie even in 2016 or 17 is like so missing the boat. Uh, but it also starts with him talking about continuing to open more restaurants. And when the movie wasn't released, there was no more rest. There's a website that hasn't been updated for two years. So I think the idea was I'm going to release the movie and then I'm doing all these other things that's going to continue to generate excitement. And that movie not getting released, even though I think his overall plan was dumb and the movie's terrible. Um, I do think that it it kind of like put a pause on what he was trying to do with the movie in a in a way that I like only because it makes Morgan Spurlock extra uh, look extra stupid. <laughs> That's possible. Yeah. Uh, thank you for taking the sacrificial. Can you make a documentary about your willingness to watch? Super willingness Sci-Fi to watch. Uh, here's yeah. actually this is this is 100 true. I actually watched it. A, I knew we were doing this month. I watched it a couple months ago, and so when he unveils the restaurant and a bunch of people come, the whole point is that it's it all looks like a fast food restaurant with like the word uh, word bubbles and stuff like that. But everything is truthful. Like it's describing like the thing is like, did you know that all there's a bunch of factoids throughout the restaurant that the the food you're eating is shitty um as a way to like deter customers or to make some point but then of course it's busy all the time because people are like want to be on tv and they're like well fuck i'll go try this restaurant so it's i mean it's, yeah it's the, it's, it's the dumb it's, starbucks fallacy where like the te- the, the having a camera there has an implicit effect on uh, the outcome of the experiment yeah, and like, and it's it's like the big reveal is that he didn't make a real. He's not opening a real. He is opening a real fast food chain, or was trying to. That was about educating people that them him coming coming to his restaurant was a bad idea, uh, which is just so like. <laughs> Like, that's what it was the trying worst. to do. Like, the tell worst. the truth. Um, but I did watch it a couple months ago, knowing that we were doing this month. And I literally picked a night that I was like, I don't want to watch a movie. I'm in a bad mood. Anything I'm w- going to watch, I'm not going to like. Like, I was just in that weird spot where it's like, I got to do something for two hours. And so I'm like, I know what I'll do. I'll watch a movie I have no chance of liking, which is the sequel to Supersize Me, uh, because that is the perp. So I did pick a night where I I don't feel like it was uh, uh, some sort of penance for myself. It was exactly what I was looking for, something that I could just go, fuck this the whole way through. Um, But it it lived up to that. I didn't (laughs) find anything redeeming. Cleared, Cleared that hurdle. Clear that hurdle of like, uh, oh, you've got to be fucking kidding me. But uh, yeah, it is. Um, we might talk about this a little bit. I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to watch it, but when we do Fahrenheit 9-11, I haven't seen Fahrenheit 11-9, but I am interested in like a documentary filmmaker trying to make a documentary sequel to their most successful effort 15 years later. It's kind of weird that we had both of those. Yeah. I never yeah. saw that. Uh Yeah. So that's kind of again that's that supersized me too. Holy chicken! Uh, don't watch it, but it is it is Check. kind of like yeah. It is um, <laughs> the last thing I'll say about it is that this is definitely a. I think I watched one of his other movies that Morgan Spurlock made, um, Where to Invade Next, which I think was his follow up, and I remember thinking it was fucking terrible. Because that's a Michael Moore a, movie, right? Oh he, no, he did one. Oh, uh, Where in the World Is Osama Bin Laden? Which is supposedly, like, one of the worst documentaries of all time, right? It's so bad. But, it, again, it was – if you can imagine – I saw it when it came out, uh, I think 2006. But if you can imagine his, like, I'm not I'm not planting any flags take 
on the uh, the war on terror in 2006 when everyone was fucking like it was like so like it was infuriating it was like who wants to see like should we be bombing countries why didn't we find osama bin laden it was like hey dude, <laughs> as, as like as a country and as like a documentary genre we've moved well beyond that like um so it was it was a pretty misguided and I, again I watched his his 30 days FX special a couple couple episodes of that but he is a guy that kind of somehow has still existed in this space without ever making anything uh of note. Didn't he also didn't he make a movie about his, like his beard about guys talking about their beards? I'm pretty sure he did. I think so. I think he also did one about like um labels I don't know, and but don't watching think... a, watching a fucking movie where Mor- Morgan Spurlock talks about his beard sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> Though I will say, like, I, I I think if after Super Size Me he had pivoted to like small weird cultural things, like uh, I don't know, fucking um, how be- how beards are you know associated with masculinity and how that's changed over time and all that like if if he just decided he was going to make these small little niche projects that weren't about changing the world because clearly uh he since supersized me he has he has not um I would. Oh yeah, he did. Less annoyed by him, but the problem is he's he has these like big projects where he's like I'm gonna tackle all the big topics and then doesn't tackle them he like lightly massages them so yeah it's called mansum it's called what it's called it's called mansum man oh like handsome uh but but mansum um and it uh so richard roper gave it a, a a review quote here on wikipedia i'm gonna say that says that um there's a certain late to the party aspect of Mansum, as if Spurlock just discovered the met- metrosexual trend of 15 years ago, <laughs> which I find somewhat humorous. Like he is talking about should should men bathe and groom apparently, and like in 20, 2012, which the metrosexual stuff was shitty anyways. But like to be that late to the party, <laughs> that <All right>. late, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, he, in a weird way, in a weird way, he feels like. It's appropriate that he's he uh, attached himself to a documentary about metrosexual whatever that term. He means. wrote and directed it because <laughs> it, it's it's uh, it feels appropriate because, because his work so far is these weird halfway efforts to something smart, right? Like metrosexuality was hinting at something that is was a, it was a weird awkward halfway transition thing to where we are we're approaching now or where the arrow is at least pointed now which is that uh, gender fluidity uh is, is the way to go and that associating yeah. everything with masculine or feminine and sorting it into camps is is folly um and, me- and metrosexuality was like a weird kind of halfway step to that but it was mostly just making fun of, of men for taking care of themselves um and, and similar to that, Super Size Me feels like a halfway step to um, where we're at now, which is like uh, instead of 
pointing out that there are uh, large scale, uh, you know, large scale capitalist efforts to make sure that we are buying cheap, shitty food whenever we get the chance and that we're eating more because eating more equals more consumption and we're spending more of our money on the shit that we don't need. Like instead of focusing on any of that stuff, he just focuses on like, hey, you seen these fat people around here? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Enormous. <laughs> and you're like big okay. and getting big and getting. Why bigger. are they so lazy? Yeah, exactly. And making bad decisions. Are they getting hypnotized? <laughs> exactly, exactly. The 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 like the pointing at pointing at fat people and laughing is very similar to making a documentary pointing at uh, people who they consider metrosexual in quotes uh, and laughing because it it feels like you're like okay you're seeing a red flag but you're not identifying where like what the actual red flag is what the, why the red flag went <laughs> up I should say. Yeah, and that uh, well, same thing with like the. So I looked at the where in the world is Osama bin Laden. It didn't come out in two thousand six, which would have been depressing. It came out in two thousand eight, which somehow is even more depressing. <laughs> like it's like, hey, did anyone notice we never found Osama bin Laden? <laughs> like, like maybe I should go travel around the world and ask people if I if they knows where if they've seen him. Maybe like, like his his whole his whole aesthetic is the got hit on a head got hit on the head. That's like what he does. I know. <laughs> I know I guess. And I think like um you're right because I I think we have figured out Morgan Spurlock because uh with the with the fast food is bad trend, you're right. You listed a bunch of stuff that came before it. That was very impactful. That clearly had an influence. He was late to that party, but ended up being, for a while anyways, the, like, crowning jewel in that, like, that type of thing. So he was late to that party, and I guess he just thinks, like, oh, if other people have talked about it, I can make my movie where I do stuff to myself about it. So in Mansum, he's trying different grooving habits, and in... um. Where in the world is Osama bin Laden? He's flying to Afghanistan and literally asking people if they know where if Osama bin Laden is. Um, and yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> 2008. 2008. Oh, um, my goodness. But, like, I think he, like, he keeps doing the, he doesn't have an original thought. And he, but he, but he hit. He hit uh, success and pay dirt with with not having an original thought or anything to say the first time. So he just keeps trying it unsuccessfully. And then when that hasn't worked, he's like, maybe I make a sequel to Supersize Me or make that FX show where I do shit for 30. Like nothing's working uh, and good. I would say good. I hope nothing continues to work for you, Morgan Spurlock. You made a bad movie in Kentucky, and then uh, you're a bad person. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I think that's my final thoughts. I think you made a bad movie. Movies. You're a bad person. Uh, go fuck yourself, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, so speaking of someone who's a bad person, we're probably going to add with a lot of go fuck yourselves. Next week, Peter and I are doing Religious. Um, to talk about, uh, uh, two things that were, that Peter and I probably talked about quite too, too much for a section of our lives, which was atheism and Bill Maher. And those things came together to make me hate both of them. Uh, I kind of hate atheism because of Bill Maher, even though I don't believe in God. And I definitely hate Bill Maher, uh, who is, is only gotten worse every single time you see him on the news or trending on Twitter. Um, Do you ever see people like uh, 
who clearly don't know him or much about him, like cite some random point on the internet. I saw this the other day. There was some Bill Maher quote, and I was just like, it was like a like an aunt of mine or something. I'm like, you're not into Bill Maher. You gotta. I don't know what you're doing, but don't share this meme. <laughs> it's, just, it's not it's not good. I I love, um, I love the I love whenever uh, like uh, Fox News or somebody gets mad at Bill Maher and talk about like the double standard that uh, yeah that, no like, <laughs> and I'm like oh no don't cancel Bill Maher don't cancel Bill Maher please <laughs> yeah. I beg you oh. Oh, liberals go after Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity, but they're okay with Bill Maher. It's like, no, no, you take him. He's you. He just sometimes says something we agree with, but he's not a good messenger. Even if we agree with him, we don't want him. Like, go, just get. And so, yeah, so we're going to do the entire episode where we go like this. Where we love to watch, and we think that's a pretty good show. And then we're going to wait for applause for our podcast episode oh, until people give it. And if they don't give us applause, Peter, I think we're going to chastise our, our listening audience. <laughs> Come on, that was a good joke. Come on. Come on. Oh, I got one of those sensitive, sensitive liberal crowds. Oh. The conservatives, they laughed at that one. God. I fuck. Should I watch an episode of real time just to how, fucking how is really Bill Maher torture not myself? On YouTube yet? I don't know. Man. Like, why is he not just like a YouTube guy talking to his camera in his mansion or whatever? Like, why is he even bothering with a fucking studio audience that he hates? He really hates them. <laughs> Although it was funny the one time he went out and like grabbed someone and threw him out himself when he was yelling about how nine eleven was fake. Yeah, that was cool. That made me like Bill Maher for about fifteen minutes. Yeah, we'll talk, like, about, oh, yeah. we'll talk about a lot. Is how we we'll talk we'll like about him so we'll much. Him for it's one be thing, a- and then we'll forget about that thing, and then yeah, we'll like him a- again, and then we'll hate him again. But I've I've hated him now for about five years, so I think it's it's been a while. Time. I, yeah, I've definitely hated him for quite a long time. I think it's longer than five years for me. But uh, you guys have complicated uh, complicated relationships to Bill Maher. Did you? Well, Rick, did you ever like Bill Maher? Were you all? No, no, thank you. Never. God no. damn it, Rick. Why are you better than both of us? <laughs> I'm Rick Kelly and I'm smart. I'm smarter. <laughs> I, first of all, I you never sound just less exactly what I vegan. sound like. I listened to the show earlier. The last one I was on, I sound just like that. <laughs> I know we're recording the religious episode in two days. I'm going to try to sneak in a real time with Bill Maher because I haven't seen it probably in 10, 8 years. Uh, and I'm going to see how much I fucking hate myself uh, and watch one episode. I might, I might do the same. I think, if I'm not mistaken, he puts his episodes out as like a free podcast. Uh, he, I think he it. does. I, but I also have HBO. So, yeah, no, I just mean like if you want to do it while doing literally anything else, so you don't have to look at his face. I think that's a big part of it. I think I need I need to get smugged stared at. If you want to look at that, if you want to look at that smug, like half of his face seems to droop. It's it's honestly like I don't know if I just need to go to the bathroom, but it's threatening to empty my entire bowels just thinking about what that face looks like. (laughs) So, um, could be both. Either way. Yeah, we should we should maybe move on. All right. Well, you'll find that link to what Rick wrote for the spool in the. in the notes. Otherwise, Rick, it's always thank you so much for coming on. I, you haven't been on since you uh, had a uh, beautiful daughter, so thank you for taking the time out to do it. I know it gets a little bit tough with kids, um, but we hope we have you back on soon because we love we love talking to you. <laughs> Absolutely, it's a blast. Thanks, guys. All right, have a good night, everyone. Bye, bye. Joker.
Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand and you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs) Mm. Woo.